Welcome to Movable Dough, the podcast where I interview and promote living composers. Join me as I talk with composers about their current projects, their past successes and setbacks, and their personal journeys. For more information about this podcast, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. Today I will be speaking with Jocelyn Hagen and Tim Tkach, a married couple of composers in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jocelyn's early forays into composition were in songwriting, and a majority of her compositions are still for the voice. Her commissions include ensembles such as Conspirar, the Minnesota Opera, ACDA of Minnesota, Georgia, Connecticut, and Texas, the Metropolitan Symphony Orchestra, among many others. In 2019, choirs and orchestras across the country premiered her multimedia symphony, The Notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci, that includes video projections created by a team of visual artists. Jocelyn described her process of writing for choir, orchestra, and film simultaneously in a TEDx talk now available on YouTube. Tim has received commissions and performances from a wide variety of ensembles, including Roomful of Teeth, the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, St. Olaf Band, Contus, Vocal Essence, and numerous other organizations. He has received grants from the American Composers Forum, Meet the Composer, ASCAP, and others. He studied music composition at St. Olaf College in Minnesota and is the current composer in residence for the singers, Minnesota Choral Artists. Along with his wife, Jocelyn, he is the co-founder and owner of Graphite Music Publishing Company. Jocelyn Hagen and Tim Tkach, thank you for being here and welcome to Movable Dough. Hello. Hi, thanks for having us. All right. So I've never had two guests simultaneously. And so I'll have some questions for you each individually, as well as some for the pair of you. I'll do my best to sort of balance it out as we go. And that actually brings me to my first question, and that has to do with balance. So you're both full-time composers, as well as busy raising two sons. So how do you balance the family work ratio between the two of you? Oh, I think it's a constant tug of war, and that balance is never really achieved. It's always just something that you're striving for. (laughs) Um, You know, it seems it's really hard right now, you know, during this time of the pandemic, things are very much skewed um, to a lot of family time, a lot of time together and at home. And whereas usually that that's not, um, that's not our situation. We travel a lot for work and um, we have a lot of evening commitments um, for rehearsals and things like that. So we're really relishing this time together as much as we can. Yeah. I I think it's, um, it's also a matter of just being very aware of, of both person's priorities as individuals and as, as professionals. Um, I think that when we're at our best, we're very cognizant of, of who needs what, when. And so if somebody, you know, raises their hand and says, Hey, I, I could really use some time or the next three days are going to be rough or whatever it is just to say, yes, I, I got this, like do what you need to do. Sure. Yeah. Are, so are you dealing now with virtual school and things like that with your kids? Yeah, we, we've chosen to have both our kids stay home full-time and do online learning, uh, which we didn't really know what to expect when we chose that. And it's, it's a bit more uh, hands-on than I think we assumed it was going to be. So we're sort of figuring that out as we go and trying, again, trying to balance the, the work alongside the teaching. All right. Well, Jocelyn, let me ask you a question. Let's, let's go back to when you were first starting out. What was your journey like from a budding songwriter 
to studying composition and to where you are now? Yeah, I started writing songs in high school. And then I wrote my first piece of choral music as a senior in high school and immediately fell in love with that. I was like, oh, I, that's what I want to do. I can't wait to do more of that. Um, and then I went to St. Olaf College. And, you know, for the first couple of years of music school, you know, you're pretty bogged down in theory and music history and yeah. learning all of that. Um, so I didn't write much those first two years. And then, and then really dug in my junior and senior year of college, um, wrote a lot. My, um, my graduate distinction project as I was graduating from St. Olaf College was a requiem for choir and orchestra, which was pretty ambitious. <laughs> but uh, I learned so much in that process of writing a large scale work. And um, I think it's really been a, a tell for, for the way my brain works. I love tackling big projects, especially ones that I don't really know how it's all going to come together. I like the challenge of that. Um, and so, and it's nice to see that it really did start when I was in college. Yeah. Do you see some of that playing out uh, as you work on a project like Leonardo, uh, where you, you had that beginning and now you've, you've been able to progress into a different place? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I am really drawn to the projects that are experimental in the way that I don't, I can't imagine right away what this would sound like, what this would look like. And that just really is very exciting for me. It was the same process um, for when I wrote my first opera too. I collaborated with a choreographer and we, we created a dance opera called, mm. called Test Pilot, which is based on the birth of flight and the Wright brothers. And it's a completely different, um, different kind of opera and really experimental and lots of fun. And, you know, I, I didn't know what it was going to be like when we went down that road together, but I'm super proud of that work. That's awesome. Did you, during your studies, did you find any particular composers or styles that were uh, a big influence for you? Oh, you know, I think it, it changes and it depends on the mood I'm in. You know, <laughs> I, there are a lot of favorites and a lot of favorite pieces and, or things that I'm drawn to it. Um, like for a long time, I was listening to a lot of the Now Ensemble and I really loved these pieces by Judd Greenstein. Um, I listened to them a lot, uh, a piece called Sing Along and a piece called Change. Um, Sarah Kirkland Snyder also had an amazing album called Penelope that we both listened to quite a bit. Um, so yeah, just, you know, we go through stages just like, just like everybody I think in there listening. It's really hard to nail down favorites. Yeah. All right. So Tim, let me go over to you. I've got a, a couple quotes that I want to read first before I ask you a question. Okay. Um, so in your short bio on your website, you start with this line, inspired by captivating narrative, speculative fiction, and making better humans through art. And then you also use this tempo marking in a piece that you were writing for the Texas Boys Choir. You told them to sing it better than yesterday. Okay. So unpack this for us a little bit. How are you using your art to make people better? Well, I just think that um, human beings are complex things. And I think emotions are complex things. And most often when our emotions are only allowed to bounce around inside our own heads and inside our own bodies, uh, they can get even more confusing than they might be uh, naturally. And one of the things I love about music, either experiencing it 
but most often creating it uh, as a performer on stage is that um, you get a chance to, to do something. You get to act on it. It's not, it's not really a, a passive art when you're creating it. And so, you know, my first audience is always the performer. I think the audience isn't there somewhere, like the audience in the seats, but the audience for what I'm doing is the performer. And if, especially in choral music, if through thoughtful choice of text and how I'm, how I'm packaging that text to give to them to say out loud, um, ideally they'll have an, a, an experience that informs who they are and maybe allows them to look at the world a little bit differently through the act of making music. Um, and I just think that by accessing emotions that are hard to talk about, or maybe emotions that we didn't even know we needed to talk about out loud in the, in the safety of a group, you know, safety in numbers, it helps us figure out maybe what grief is like or what failure is like, or, you know, jealousy or fear or, or joy or, or happiness, or all these things that, that we're trying to figure out as people, it might be easier to do that through art. And so that's sort of how I'm trying to move forward. Yeah, I, I like that. I'm often inspired by pieces that I feel move me in some way that take me to a different place than I was when I started. Yeah. Do you think there was something in your life or in your training that prepared you to take your art in that direction? I don't know if it was any one thing in particular, but as I think about my, my journey as a composer, especially when I think about how I, how I found my creative voice, how I figured out what I have to say. Um, I, I would think about my, my artistic life from when I was a kid through today. And you do, you, you're drawn to those experiences that move you, that have changed you. And whether it's an album that you wore out when you were a kid or a very specific piece of music that you sang um, or a moment in rehearsal, I find that most often moments that stick with me are the ones that are not on stage in front of people, but they're behind the scenes or they're, because you're making music uh, for the right reasons, because you want to and because it's bringing you joy and those are the ones that stick out to me. And so um, I think about my life as an artist being formed by all these particular experiences and how I, I think I'm a better person because I sang in choir and because I sang with my friends and, and arranged music and wrote music and played piano and, and went to go see you know dance concerts and art galleries and things like that. I think I'm a better person because of that. That's great. All right, so I know that each one of you is one half of the band Nation, <laughs> an acapella duo. So can you tell me about why and how uh, you formed your band? What sort of pieces you're performing, what you're doing with this? Yeah, well, the origin story, story is pretty interesting because it was out of necessity. I had a concert um, that was going to happen at the Schubert Club. And it's basically a one hour concert of my music. And I had um, arranged for all these different performers to come play. And I had a 10 minute song for uh, soprano and viola. And my violist sent me an email two weeks prior to the performance saying, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. So I have a 10 minute slot to fill. And I, had, and I didn't have any more money left to be able to pay people to, to learn something new. So I turned to, Tim and I said, well, we've had it on our bucket list for a while to start <laughs> arranging some pieces for us to sing. How about we do that now? <laughs> she, she looked at me and 
said, you're cheap. You want to work for me? <laughs> it was. It was the cheapest ensemble I could put together. Yep. <laughs> so, um, it's all goodwill and dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... So it was kind of funny, but you know, we, it was really great because it had been on our bucket list and I'm not sure if we had, hadn't had a reason to do it, if we would have done it, it would have been, been one of those things that stayed on the bucket list. And what was great is, so we arranged two songs, we performed them at that concert and um, that collaborator, that choreographer that I did the opera with, she was sitting in the audience and she says, oh, I want to dance to those. Can we, can we talk and do some kind of performance? <laughs> So that was our first nation gig was uh, singing four arrangements of pop tunes for a dance concert. Oh, wow. And it was super cool because we were on stage. It was an intimate venue. So we didn't need to be miked. And we actually moved on the stage like dancers. Um, I mean, not like or dancers. As, as close as we can get. <laughs> <laughs> we moved like singers on the stage. And <laughs> Um, but that was really, really cool. And I, I love that, that that was our first, our first outing really. Or, yeah. You know, and you know, it's, it started from arrangements, pop arrangements, because it was, those were the, the hard work's already done. So we just needed <laughs> to, to work out how we're going to sing them. But I think that there's also a really strong background of appreciating pop music in, in both of our lives. Um, and from there, we've, started to to go further down that road with writing more specifically for us and um writing pop like songs but also classical songs and just sort of treating nation like a, a musical sandbox and thinking what 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 else can we do with this and what else is out there and and how else can we find joy in what we're doing and it's it it's sort of like our first hobby i think you know like after we're, our work day is over um, we'll find some time for nation. And that's like a way to kind of unwind and really enjoy it. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. It is. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Jocelyn, do you find that it is beneficial for your creative process to have another composer at home with you while you're working on a new piece? Or does it create a competitive atmosphere? You know, <laughs> what sort of influences do you and Tim have on each other? That's a funny question for a funny us. Question. <laughs> Um, I can't wait to see <laughs> what you're going to say. Well, first of all, I, I, I don't think it's competitive. No, maybe, you know, we're, I think we're really good at supporting each other and we really understand what each other, what we're going through as we're in the creative process and, and the things we're trying to accomplish as artists, you know? Um, so it, it's always great to talk about things. Like we're really good at talking about our projects and how we want to, figure things out. And, um, and I think that's always been there. Um, at the beginning, I was just a little background. Um, I'm an only child who grew up in a small town in North Dakota in the country. And so I spent a lot of time by myself and in my own head growing up. And, um, which was great. I was, I was really imaginative and creative from an early age because, I basically just had me <laughs> for a lot of that time. And, um, and so I was very, I, I almost want to use the word secretive about um, my projects and my work before, I, I, I would tend to shield them. 
and I, I guess I still am a bit this way that I, I keep things pretty close to the chest. I don't talk about them until I'm really ready to share them mm -hmm. with the world. And, um, and that kind of always drove Tim nuts a little bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, because so, which is a very different atmosphere from what Tim's experience is where, you know, he was in Contus for 17 years, which is a collaborative ensemble. Um, so, he was always wanting to know stuff and would ask me questions. And I'm just like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's private. <laughs> was that the answer you were expecting? That's what I expected. Yeah. Okay. okay. So Tim, do you have a rebuttal to that? Or are you pretty much? In no, I, there's no rebuttal at all. I think that's very true. Um, I think that I'm, I would, I would, you talk about like, is it a benefit to have another composer in the house? It is. We talk shop quite a bit bit like we'll we'll finally have a chance to go out on a date and we'll sit there at, at the dinner table and just talk shop for an hour and by the time we're ready to leave we'll pay for it with our professional business credit card because it's like well, that's that is a write-off right there <laughs> we didn't talk about anything else except for shop um but i'm i'm way more curious in in how she goes about her process and how how she works and and what her thought processes are than she is of mine um, and that's not to, to put a qualifier on, on either side of it, but um, I, in the beginning specifically, I would be much more likely to ask for feedback in opinions and say, I'm up against a wall here. I don't know what I'm doing. What do you think? And she'd say, well, I don't know, because it's not my piece. I'm like, yeah, but just look at it and like, give me your feedback. She's like, well, I don't know what to say because I haven't thought about it. I'm like, fine. So I'll walk away with nothing. Um, so it wasn't that much of a benefit to have a composer in the house <laughs> musically, but as far as the, all the other stuff goes, it's, it's great. And we, we understand each other, you know, and, and when something very specific will stress one of us out, the other one gets it. We're mm -hmm. like, yeah, just do what you need to do there with what you're <laughs> dealing with. And that's fine. So Tim, where did you get your start? I, I know you were in Contus. Did you start as a vocalist or were you doing piano lessons or what were you doing as a child? Yeah, so I, I was singing and playing piano uh, from a very early age through all my years of school. Um, at a certain point, I realized that singing was a heck of a lot easier than, than practicing and playing the piano. Um, but I, I worked really hard at the piano. I stopped taking piano lessons uh, halfway through high school when we moved from Illinois to Minnesota. And um, I, I was curious about composition in high school uh, through film scores and through listening to the music that accompanied films and thinking that's really exciting and intriguing. And, and I would love to, to be a part of that someday. And I think, you know, when you're 14, 15 years old, you don't know what that looks like. You know, you don't know what that career path looks like, but when something strikes you like that, you think I want this to be a part of my life. Um, my entries into composition, I think were very functional and technical. It was transcribing things from recordings. It was arranging things from the quartet, uh, with which I was singing in high school. I didn't, I didn't know what I had to say creatively, but I liked doing it. So mm -hmm. that was a longer journey for me was trying to figure out why, why I was writing and what, what I could add to the world. Um, and my earliest useful experiences with composition were with Contus when we were young and we had programs to perform and we had a couple guys in the group that liked to write and arrange. And so it was great to have a, a top-notch ensemble ready to read through your things and perform them and record them. So that was a, a really great way for me to get um, my feet wet at the beginning. Yeah, I bet. All right, so I've got one more question for both of you before we 
uh, take a quick break. What is it that you think about the other person that is unique in their style? Musical style or just their... lifestyle? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a yeah, that's quite a box. You, you could go either way. I was thinking musical. <laughs> I was thinking musical, but either way. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I really think that Tim has an amazing grasp of of text and what text means and how it should be sung, how it should be set. Um, so his text setting is always really wonderful. It's not always what I would do, but it's really, but I, I love the way he sets text. And, um, and I wouldn't say that about all composers, I guess I should also say that too, but I, I love the way that he, um, that he sets text and the thought he puts into, into the, that text and how it should be sung. Um, I also think he is really good at, at finding the right poems that have something to say and actually saying it. You know, he said he, it took him a while to figure that out, but once he figured that out, he's done an amazing job with that, you know, and I think it's an, it's an interesting time right now for, for white men. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and especially in the composition world too, we're having lots of conversations about um, diversity and what voices should be heard. And, you know, what, what does a, a white man have, have to say it at this time? And I think that Tim has done a really great job of finding things worth saying and that lots of people can relate to and that, that are not divisive and are inclusive. And um, I think that's, that's one of his really strong points. That's oh, great. Thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. How about you, Tim? Um, the one thing that, that still sort of baffles me in a good way about Jocelyn's music is that um, I, I don't quite understand where it comes from. And I, and I haven't figured out why it affects me the way it does. There are some pieces of hers that I understand more than others. Um, but I'll, I'll hear usually it's the finished product because I don't get to, I don't get to hear it before it's completely done. Uh, it's just the way she works. But when I hear things that are coming out of the piano as she's writing, uh, you know, bits and pieces of it, not a fully formed uh, thing yet. I'm, I'm just sort of, my eyes go wide and I think, wow, where did that come from? You know? And I, and I feel like it's a, it's a really true mix of who she is and what she likes and the way that it's all put together feels really fresh and exciting. And I, I'm a really tough audience as far as actually sitting in the chairs and listening to music from the stage. Um, there's a lot that I could, I could be fine without hearing, but, but when Jocelyn writes, I think that's, that's music that I would sit down and listen to and, and be excited about and think about on the way home. And a lot of, that doesn't happen a lot. So I'm, I'm really grateful that that she is so good at what she does because i think <laughs> this relationship would be a lot harder if, <laughs> if she wasn't or, you know, I, I think we we have a mutual respect for each other's work and a lot of people ask if there's a danger of us uh getting too close to each other's style or you know rubbing off on each other and i don't think that's happened i i think that over the years we've maintained a distinct personal style that's each our own um and i love that yeah. yeah. All right. Well, when we come back from the break, we'll have a chance to listen to some of Tim and Jocelyn's compositions.
Welcome back. My guests today are Tim Tkach and Jocelyn Hagen. So you both have so many wonderful compositions. It was so difficult to choose which ones to talk about today. So Jocelyn, I'd like to start with your piece, Hands, uh, which you describe on your website as a vocalese. So I'm always fascinated by choral works where the composer chooses not to employ any text. And so I'd like to know, what was the message of this piece that you were trying to convey? Yeah, this was an interesting commission. It was from the International Federation of Choral Music for the World Choral Symposium in Barcelona, Spain uh, a few years ago. Um, I guess, I, I can't remember, 2016 maybe would have been the year. And um, so I had this commission. I was really excited about it. It felt like a big deal. And the theme for the symposium was peace. And, and I... And so I started thinking about, okay, what text do I want to set for that? And I kept coming up blank because no matter what text I picked, I always felt like, oh, it's in this language, which makes it a barrier because for some people that's their first language mm -hmm. and for others it's not. So that there was always this, like it was showing a preference for one, one language or one culture over another. And I really didn't want that to be the case. I wanted everyone to approach it equally. And, um, and I was writing for a choir from Sweden, a fantastic professional choir. And, and so, yeah, I just decided to go with this idea of, of um, that it was more about coming together and singing instead of what the words actually were. And that the, the action, I guess, was louder than words, if that makes sense. Um, and so the, there's action in the piece. There are um, instructions for presentation. In, in right. You have the of, singers moving around the stage, right? Yeah. And then eventually coming together and holding hands at the very end, which is why the piece is called Hands. Um, so yeah. So it became about action instead of a lyric. And I really, I really loved that idea. Yeah. That's fantastic. Let's take a moment and we'll listen to a bit of Hands.
All right, Tim, let's go to a recent piece of yours, Helios. Mm-hmm. A 65-minute presentation by Acapella SATB Choir, premiered in 2019 by the singers, Minnesota Choral Artists. So you title each movement after the planets, moving from the outer edge of the solar system, which, by the way, I'm glad to see that you included Pluto, <laughs> uh, all, all the way into the sun, including a comet and our moon as well on, on that journey. So after living with this piece for as long as you did during its creation, I'm sure you have a lot to say about it. Uh, can you tell us briefly about the creation of this work and what it means to you? Yeah, well, I, I remember trying to figure out at the time that I thought about it, how to sort of marry all these different things that I loved in life together in my work. Um, and again, it's part of that journey of finding what I have to say in my own voice, my own compositional voice. And I remember, I think I was on tour uh, with Kantu sitting in the van. I just thought, well, I, I like science. I like science fiction. I like mythology. You know, there's been orchestral music written about the planets. Um, maybe there's room for a, a vocal piece written about it and sort of had the the brainchild right there and, and, you know, went on for years trying to develop what the piece was going to be about and how I was going to put it together and where I was going to find the texts and poetry. Um, but I knew I wanted to, to sort of use the solar system as a way to analyze different facets of human beings and personalities. And again, looking at emotions and, and how can we inform our lives based on the people that have come before us and lessons learned through, through mythology and, and through these stories that we've made up over the years. So I sort of kept it close and private for a while as I was researching it. And then I um, actually took Dale Warland out for coffee and, and just pitched him the idea. I just wanted to see what, what his reactions were to it. And, and he was, he was supportive and, and had some ideas, some of which I thought were right on and some of which I, I didn't want to do it at all. So I was, um, and I love that when you can be really um, subjective about advice and take what you want and leave what you don't. But then I also pitched it to Matt Culleton and the singers and said, this has been on my mind for a while and, and uh, I would love to, to partner with you bringing this to life. And this was probably in 2015, maybe 15 or 16, it was a long time ago. Um, I was able to bring it to life slowly by pitching separate movements to different ensembles over the years. Mm-hmm. So when people would ask me for a commission, I'd send them a couple of poems, but then I'd also send them a pitch for Earth or Saturn or Pluto and say, this, I'm, I'm thinking about this and it could be right for you. And it could also be part of this larger thing that I'm hopefully going to finish in the near future. So how long did it take you to finish? Uh, you know, I, I think I probably started writing the first few movements in 2016, probably three years of writing music for it, plus the, the couple of years where I was just sort of sitting on the idea, trying to figure out what it was, what it was going to be. I feel like that's what Jocelyn was talking about earlier with not quite knowing how it was going to turn out, you know, and, and how it was going to hang together. Um, and, and part of that was also figuring out the texts and pitching ideas to different poets to have those poems commissioned for the piece. Were all of the poems commissioned or, or were some already in existence? No, they weren't. I would say um, a little, maybe half were, were commissioned poetry. And then the other half were um, either previously published poetry or ancient uh, translations of, of Ovid and Virgil and, and these ancient mm-hmm. texts and things that, that um, really directly related to the mythology behind the names of these planets. Cool. 
All right, so we will take a moment. We're going to listen to segments of two movements. We're going to listen to uh, a little bit of movement two, Neptune, The Storm Was Loose, and movement three, Uranus, White Silences.
All right, so Jocelyn, I'd like to next explore your piece, Hummingbird, for SATB Choir, Soprano Soloist, Piano and Electronics. Now, it's not as common to have electronics in choral works as there might be in instrumental or solo works. Uh, can you tell me about the collaboration with, uh, with your pianist and electronic musician, Spear Fisher? Is that his name? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so how did that collaboration happen? Yeah, well, so Peter and I had started collaborating a little bit before that, um, doing kind of what we called electronic, experimental electronic art song. So I was, I would come over to his studio and sing and, and he'd manipulate my voice and we'd try all this cool stuff. And it kind of would fall into that, um, into that kind of gray area where, where you don't really know what genre it would fit into. Um, we had a lot of fun creating it and thought it was fun and different. And um, I had this, I have a great relationship with North Dakota State University. And that was the group that commissioned the work. And we approached them. I said, I've, we've got this idea for a piece. We'd love to create something together. We'd love for it to be really collaborative with the choir. Because um, Peter wanted to sample the sounds of the choir um, doing different things and use that in the in the creation of the work. So that's really cool. So the synthesizer he's playing at one point is created from sounds that the choir made in a rehearsal that he taped. Uh -huh. um, so, so yeah, it took us a while to write it. Um, and, and it also took quite a while for me to notate it. It's one of the, um, there's just a lot of different things in that piece that are experimental and different and, and that I didn't really quite know how to put into notation right away. And so figuring that out was a great puzzle. And I really enjoyed that project. And the video on YouTube is fantastic. So yeah, if, yeah, if you haven't watched that yet, you totally should. And Peter is an outstanding um, improviser and pianist as well as composer. And so you really get to hear him shine on, on that as well. Yeah, I will definitely be posting that one on our Movable Dough listeners page for our listeners to listen to. Uh, so the styles in that piece vary from from ethereal to stomp rock with the guitar at one point. So yeah. <laughs> how do the how do the varying styles in that piece speak to the message of the piece? Uh, I think that oh god. The fact that it doesn't fit into any kind of box is what really says the most about the piece. And the, and the text is really long and it, I think, can be interpreted in many different ways. Um, I, I think after a while it really spoke to me um, in a, um, I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Um, I, it, it had a lot to do with diversity and, um, it was by a black female female poet, and um, so it it has this. So I think it can be interpreted interpreted in so many different ways, and I think that the the way it's set really kind of open your mind up into thinking about things in a different way because it's so out there, mm -hmm. and I I like that because it's like you don't even quite know how to process it right away, and I think that's good. You really have to dig in, and I think that the performers at first we're like, what is he doing with us? And this is so <laughs> odd. And, um, but then I think they really fell in love with it. And you know what, at the premiere of that work in Fargo, North Dakota, 
it was in the middle of the program. And as soon as it was over, everybody stood up. It was the first time I've had a standing ovation in the middle of a concert. And it wasn't just like, you know, one of those standing ovations where it's like, oh, one person stands up, so I guess I'll stand up. It was like people were on their feet right away. And it, that was an amazing thing to witness and, and be there for. So I'm, I'm so proud of that piece. And I hope it gets performed more often. It's daunting, I think, as a conductor uh, to take it on. And, and the best way to do it is to have Peter John come and perform it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another kind of barrier that makes it a little bit more of a challenge, but so worth it. That's awesome. Well, let's listen to a couple moments because I, I do want to listen to a couple of these different feels uh, in this song. So let's listen to a couple moments from Hummingbird.
All right. So like I said earlier, you both had so many great pieces, really hard to choose only two from each of you to talk about today. So I will be adding some additional links on our Movable to Listener page uh, of some of your other pieces as well. So Tim, let's end today with your piece, uh, Neither Angels Nor Demons Nor Powers. So that's for mm-hmm. SATB Acapella Choir. So I was touched by the story of the commission of this piece. Could you share that story with our listeners? Certainly, yeah. There was a um, a school in Kansas that had a, one of the members of choir had been killed in a car crash the previous year, and they decided that they wanted to memorialize him through the creation of of a new piece, new choral piece for their their choir. Um, I was added to that equation fairly late. They had lined up another composer uh, to write the piece and couldn't couldn't hear anything back from him all fall. Uh, as they were trying to figure out how it was going or if he was working on it, things like that. And so I got the call um, in December for a due date in January. Oh, wow. So it was a really <laughs> quick turnaround. I remember I was I was on tour with Contus with the Boston Pops and I was in some hotel lobby uh, and got the call about it. And it was it was a big deal because it was they they had already secured a, a pretty good fee for the commission. So it was all ready to go. They just needed somebody to do the work. And I, I was also touched by why they were commissioning. I think that's, it's, it's neat when your work can be inspired by why people choose to help support the creation of new music. Um, and so the first thing to do is to, to find the text. And they had sent me a couple of links to um, the, the eulogy and the funeral service for this, this gentleman and sort of just a little bit more about who he was. And so I was able to piece the libretto together from parts of the written out eulogy that was read at his funeral, his memorial service, and then some other texts that were used, uh, biblical texts that were used, but then also part of another poem and sort of I just cobbled together what I felt was the story behind um, this and and how how we can react to losing somebody so suddenly and so young. Um, And so I I was able to to turn that piece around on time and, and get it to them in January. And I went in to workshop it and then they performed it. They premiered it at their KCDA conference in February, I believe, of of that of that year. So so from you know December fifth through February, it was like from start to finish, which is rare for us, I think, to have that short of a timeline yeah. from conception of an idea to at the actual performance. Um, but but yeah, that was a sort of a really um, that changed that changed me that experience because it was the first time that a, a commission had been so personal.
I do have to share a quick side note about that piece. Uh, you have a, a virtual choir recording of this piece on your website. Yes. Uh, recorded by the Rhodes College Virtual Choir in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I taught high school choir in Memphis for 11 years and was excited to see one of my former students pop up in there, uh, Raneem, wow. Raneem Imam, uh, who was in the choir as well as the one who edited and produced the video. I saw her name yes, come up at the end. And, yeah, and I was like, go Raneem. So shout out to Raneem if you're listening. <laughs> Very cool. All right, so Tim and Jocelyn, what sort of projects are you working on now? now Jocelyn, you may have to break your code here and, and actually <laughs> and talk. About <laughs> talk. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I am currently writing for True Concord Voices and Orchestra. Uh, it's a 25-minute work based on uh, or inspired by women's suffrage. And mm. so it features a narration uh, and lots of amazing words by amazing women from all over the world. And uh, yeah, and it'll have some projections as well. Another big, big piece. <laughs> How about you, Tim? Um, I have a couple sort of straight up choral pieces to write over the next few months. And then, um, the, but the project that keeps sitting in the back of my head is, uh, I, I, wrote a, I wrote an acapella piece for the US Army Soldiers Chorus this last spring called Soldier. And it was, it was written to stand alone as an acapella piece, but they also were, were looking for repertoire to do with the field band um, on their tours. So I'm, I'm taking that acapella piece and sort of expanding it out to score it for um, wind ensemble and choir. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to augment that piece with instruments, but still keep the, uh, the core of, of how that piece functions as an acapella piece. Cool. Cool. So if our listeners want to learn more about the two of you, listen to some of your music, what are your websites? Where can they find you? Um, for, for my music, you can go to my website, which is my full name, Timothy, the letter C, and then Takash, T-A-K-A-C-H.com. That has just about everything I've written on there. And if it's a recording of it, there's a good chance that it's there as well. I have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page and, and a Twitter account. That's kind of as far as it goes for me in social media, there's no Instagram, there's no Pinterest. So, um, but that's a good place to start. Yeah. And same, I've got a website, jocelynhagen.com. You can sign up for my newsletters. I try to send out a newsletter once or twice a month, just kind of tells what I'm up to. Um, and a YouTube channel. I've been adding a, a bit of content recently, um, including a, a neat kind of time-lapse video creation on um, how I create a libretto. And it was for this, this recent big piece that I'm working on. Um, but yeah, and I am on Instagram and Twitter and <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> and you're, uh, both of you are also listed on Graphite uh, Publishing mm -hmm. as well, right? Yeah. Uh, what, is, what is that URL? That's graphitepublishing.com. Okay, graphitepublishing.com. Fantastic. Well, Jocelyn and Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a pleasure interviewing you. I wish you the best in the future. Thanks. Thanks for the Thanks. invitation. Yeah. My guests today were composers Jocelyn Hagen and Tim Tkach. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to your favorite podcast provider. To hear previous episodes, visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. If you'd like to continue this conversation or share your favorite music by Tim or Jocelyn, Join us on our Facebook group, Movable Dough Listeners. If you have show or guest suggestions, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. 
This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. Which piece it was that I was writing that you said, God, I hope that's not for me. No, <laughs> it was the, from Test Pilot. The, um, the guitar, the guitar one, where Gary's playing the guitar, we were all huddled around. Yes, that's right. Shaker. Yes, the art of war. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard her. She, I, know, I knew she was writing this opera and, and I knew I was going to be singing in it. And so she sat at the piano, like working this thing out. It's like, boy, that's a weird thing that she's doing there i i hope i don't have to sing that <laughs> and then, and then I got the scores I'm like ah yeah that's the one i gotta sing that 